0: So glad that you're here. This is the second part of the series that we have called Living Life Strong. And I just want to give you a heads up that we are going to be going a little bit deeper today than we normally go. Is that okay? I'm also made move pretty fast. And so I always encourage you, as Tammy was talking about, to take notes. You're going to retain way more if you take notes. Today, I'm going to be moving really fast. I'm going to be moving through a lot of material. And so I want to encourage you that um, you can get all of today's notes on the Uversion app, like Tammy was talking about. You can go to lwfc.org slash notes, um, uh, or if you have our mobile app, the Church Center app you can get notes there as well. The reason that I'm telling you that is because all these notes are there, and I don't want you to necessarily worry about writing down all the scripture references. I'm gonna give you a lot um, and all the main points, but what I want you to do is to pull those up. All those are there you can just, so that you can write specific things that God is speaking to you about what we're talking about. Okay? All right, so the purpose for this series is specifically just to help you understand not only what your authority is as a Jesus follower in the world around you, but also how to walk in that authority. And by authority, we discovered last week that in the very beginning that Moses actually wrote the five books of the Bible. And the first one was Genesis. And Moses, he had to lead literally millions of people out of slavery and a slavery mindset where they had been in slavery for hundreds of years, generations. So the people that he was actually trying to lead out of oppression and subjugation, they had actually never known anything other than them being subject to the world around them, the people around them. And that when God gave Moses the creation account, that he did it in such a way that turned the Israelites' mindset upside down. Because remember, they had never known anything other than they were ruled. They were ruled by the world around them. And so in Genesis 1.26, we talked about God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And that, in and of itself, that would have challenged everything about their own self-image that they were made in God's likeness, they would have a hard time fathom just understanding that. And some of you, you were been raised in environments, you've experienced things, and, and this is hard for you to imagine, that you are so precious, that you are made in his image. He's like, I want him to be like me. I want him to look like me. I want him to, he loved you so much that he made you in his own likeness. But it doesn't stop there for you. And it didn't stop there for the Egyptians either because then God went on and he said, not only did I make you in my image or in my likeness, but I made you so that you may rule. The Egyptians, I mean, the Israelites would have not known what to do with that because they had, they had spent generations being ruled. But we discovered that God actually made man in the beginning to rule, to have authority over what, Micah? Over our environments. Adam and Eve were created, the first man, the first woman were created to rule. To rule over what? Well, everything. To rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, livestock, all the animals, and over all the creatures that moved along the ground. They had been given dominion, some translations say, over the world and the environment that they lived in. And so last week, we discovered this, is that God created us to rule over the environments that we live in. The world's not supposed to happen to us. We're supposed to happen to the world. But Adam and Eve turned that authority to to rule over to Satan because of their sin. And then God predicted right there in the garden, he told Satan, he said, look, I'm going to make enemies between you and mankind, but there will be a man One day that comes to crush your head, although you will strike his heel, he will crush your head. And what that was doing was that was foreshadowing 4,000 years later, Jesus, although he was God, he left his deity, in other words, all of his power, he left that in heaven and he was born as God. A man. So he's 100% God, 100% man, but he left his godhood, his deity in heaven and had to operate as a human being. But here was the trick. Although Adam and every man since Adam sinned and therefore they couldn't walk in the authority that God gave them in the garden to rule over their environments. This one man, Jesus, not using his deity, but as a man he walked sinless here on the earth. And by that, he obtained the authority to rule over his environment like man was supposed to. And not only did he rule over his environment, but he actually taught his apostles and his disciples how to do it. And they did it in his authority while he was here on the earth. And then allowing man to nail him to a cross and shedding his own pure, sinless blood. He died, rose again from the dead, and offered to anyone who would accept him as their Lord and their Savior. Watch this. He cleansed. He offered them washing away of all their wrongdoing, all their sin that robbed them of their authority. So if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, look, you walk sinless. Not because you don't sin, but because he washed our sin away. And because you are sinless, the power and authority that was given to man in the garden to rule over their environment is returned to us by his blood and his name and by his word. Okay? Now the problem is though, most of us don't walk in our authority. Most of us don't know what our authority is over our environment, much less walk in it or exercise it. See, we've been taught things by very well-meaning people that are not biblical. That we are just lowly sinners saved by grace. No power, no authority, life stinks here on earth because everything just happens to us and you just got to endure it and one day in the great by and by, all this will be over and we can get out of here. But meanwhile, life sucks and then you die. But with that mentality, we tend to not walk in our authority, right? But the truth is you're not a sinner saved by grace, Second Corinthians 517, Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, in other words, if you are a Jesus followers, if you are a Jesus follower, you are a new creation. The old has gone and the new is here. You are not a sinner saved by grace. You were a sinner who was saved by grace, and now you are a new creation, and you are created in the image of God. And Jesus' sacrifice on that cross, it transformed you into something new. So many of us see ourselves as sinners trying to overcome sin. As long as you see yourself as a sinner trying to overcome sin, you will always struggle with that. As opposed to seeing yourself as a new creation, I am a new creation, therefore, why, why am I sinning? I am a new creation, so I resist temptation. That's a whole other mindset. You see, this is a spiritual battle. You and I, we are in a war over our authority. See, you've got to understand that we are in a war over our authority. Satan had it. Jesus robbed him of it, gave it to you, and now you're in a war over it. Because remember, God gave authority over to man. He gave it to Satan. Jesus stripped it from him and gave it back to us. So he's ticked off. And if he can convince you that you don't have any authority, that you can't rule over your circumstances and the things in your life, you've got no power, That's right. you're hopeless, you're subject to anything and everything that comes along. If he can convince you of that, he can rob you of the life and the authority that God wanted you to walk in from the very beginning. All the battles in your life are to keep you pushed down so you don't understand that you have actual authority to overcome Anyone and everything, everything that Satan brings to you. Watch this. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord. Okay, it's not your strength. You're strong in his Lord and in his mighty power, in his authority. All right? So here's the thing. Then, so if you do that, put on the full armor of God so that you can take the stand against the devil's schemes. There it is. All right? He's like at a drawing board. He's trying to come up with something that's going to mess you up. Okay, He's got schemes. For his struggles are not against people, flesh and blood. I know you think it's your husband. (laughs) You think it's your wife, your kids. It's not your parents. It's not your boss. It's not any of that. It's not against flesh and blood. But watch this. It says, but your struggle is against rulers. Now, notice within every one of these things that the Bible uses these words that he uses to describe the the demonic realm, they're authoritative type terms, okay? Rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, another realm. There is another realm. It's five times in the book of Ephesians alone that the book that Paul uses this phrase, heavenly realms. So is there another realm? Yes, there is. You see this realm, but there is another realm activity is happening because remember what happens in the unseen is as important as what is you can actually see so there is a heavenly realm and the higher you want to go the deeper you have to go in understanding it okay so it's then it says therefore put on the full armor of god since all that activity is coming against you put on the full armor of god so that when it doesn't say if it says when the day of evil comes it's coming, and my job is a, as a pastor is to make sure you're prepared for when the day of evil comes, all right? So it says, so when the day of evil comes, that you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. These are all defensive weapons that you have, okay? With your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, and then in addition to this, take up the shield of faith, which with you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, all right? So you've probably seen those pirate movies, right, where they have fire on the end of the arrows, and they're shooting them, fiery arrows, fiery darts that are coming at you nonstop. Then he says, so, take, so the devil has these flaming arrows, so take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So notice, he has arrows, you got a sword. Well, I don't think I believe in the devil. Well, I'm sorry, that doesn't make him go away. (laughs) And then he says, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers or prayer requests. Here's one thing that I want, hopefully your eyes are open to. Prayer is not just me communicating with God, it's also confrontation with the devil, the devil is real, okay? So he's not a symbol in Scripture. He's actually an entity. He's a person. He's real. Studies say that 50% of all Christians don't believe in a literal devil. Well, that's exactly what he would want you to believe, right? In fact, 2 Corinthians 11:14 says, No wonder, for Satan masquerades or hides as an angel of light. He's hiding, and I think that the enemy would not want you to understand the reality of that because he's trying to rob you of your authority. I remember as a teenager, my dad coming back from a mission trip on Africa, or from Africa, and there were these devils that would manifest themselves in people. You could see them. And the joke was, when you cast a devil out of somebody in Africa, they come to America because nobody believes that they actually exist. They can run rimshot over everybody because nobody believes in the devil, and so I'm telling you that the devil is real. And you've got to know that he wants to destroy you because he, of your authority. Even Jesus himself in John 10.10 10 says the thief, that's what Jesus liked to call the devil. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Okay, First Peter 5 says be alert and sober. In other words, please don't be asleep. Please don't think this, isn't re- this is not real. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. And then watch this. How do you stand up against the devil? Then it says, so resist him. Stand firm in your faith. Why? Because the devil responds to higher authority. Because he is an authority. And he operates as in a principality and dominion kind of realm. And what gets his attention is higher authority. 1 John 4, 4 says, The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So you have authority because of Jesus over the devil and everything that he, come, that he has against you. And so here's what I want you to understand today. It's very important, all right? Here's it. You have been given weapons to exercise your authority. Okay. Let me say it again. God has given you weapons. You're in a war. God has given you weapons. We're going to discuss what they are in a minute. But I want you to see that God has given you weapons so that there's a reason why. So that you can exercise your authority in the environment, in the world that you live in. All right? And the first weapon that we have, it is a powerful weapon, and that is this. It's the name of Jesus. If you remember last week, we talked about Jesus himself. He said, he said this in Luke 10. He said, uh, so he sent 72 out. He sent disciples out to do ministry, and they returned with joy, and they said, God, Lord, even the demons. We had such a great time. Even the demons submitted to us in your name. And Jesus was like, really? You're excited about that? I got a lot more for you. He says, actually, I was there when Satan fell. I saw it. And when he fell, he fell like lightning. And so, look, when God decided to, to beat the devil, here's how long the war lasted. That was it. It wasn't like a Lord of the Rings battle scene that goes on for hours. All right, that was it. This is not the good side versus the dark side, and it lasts forever. No, this movie lasted a millisecond. This is his authority that he gave us. It says, he saw Satan fall like lightning and then now that he's fallen, I have given you that same authority to trample on snakes and scorpions, those are demonic metaphors, and to overcome all the power of the enemy and nothing can harm you. This is your authority that Satan battles you over. Philippians 2 says it this way, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Okay, so it's here, it's there, it's everywhere the devil operates, okay, don't operate in your own power. Operate in his authority. Okay? Your second weapon is the blood of Jesus. That's the cross. Now, I've talked about this, that this is the whole reason we even have authority is because his blood paid for our sin. So I'm not going to go into this a whole lot. But Revelation 12 says that they triumphed over him, the devil, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. So why is the cross so powerful? Watch this. Sin is what gives the enemy power. And Jesus paid for all the sins on the cross. Amen. It was the ultimate defeat. You want to tick off the devil? Just remind him of the cross. uh ah, uh, uh, uh the blood of Jesus has paid for all of my sins, past, present, and future. And you, sir, are already defeated in Jesus' name. Amen. He hates that. Ticks him off. I like it. And, of course, the last one is this. It's the word of God. So, you got the name of Jesus, you got the blood of Jesus, and the word of God. Now, watch. When Jesus was fighting the devil at Luke, Luke 4, Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. And it says that the devil, as a person, came and tempted him. And in verse 3, it says, The devil came to him and said, Hey, if you're the son of God, tell the stone to become bread. Now, notice he questioned who he was, it's about authority. All right, And Jesus, using his authority, he says, it is written. And he quotes a passage from the Bible, from Deuteronomy. And he says, man shall not live on bread alone. And then the devil led him up to a high place, and he showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said, uh, I will give you all their, what? Authority and splendor as it has been given to him. This is what happened in the garden. Okay, This is where Adam and Eve handed him the garden in the garden, the authority. And at this point, Jesus didn't die, hadn't died on the cross yet, so he still had it. And he says, and I can give it to anybody that I want. If you worship me, it'll all be yours. And then in verse eight, Jesus answers, once again, it's spiritual warfare, okay? It is written, the word of God. And then he cro- quotes from the Bible once again, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So then the devil leads him up to Jerusalem and he had him stand on the highest point of the temple, and he says, once again, he's questioning his, who he is, his authority, if you're the son of God, he said, th- and then throw yourself down from here. And then he, Satan quotes scripture. Satan says, Satan quotes scripture. He will command his angels concerning you and to, to guard you carefully and will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Just because somebody quotes scripture doesn't necessarily mean it's God, by the way the devil is twisting it. And here's what's interesting is he comes to to Jesus. He's already tempted him twice. And and Jesus has already quoted the word to him twice. And yet he's still there. He's still tempting Jesus. Because remember, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So he's trying to destroy Jesus. Even though Jesus quoted scripture, he spoke the word twice already, devil's still there. What do you do? Jesus doubled down. He understood that first, sometimes the first time you quote it, he's still there. Second time you quote it, still situation's still there. And so Jesus doubles down. He does it again, triples down, does it again. And he says, it is written, or it is said, Jesus quotes the scripture again. Do not put the Lord, your God, to the test. Sometimes when it seems like you're praying the scriptures, you're speaking the word, and situations are not changing, just like Jesus's, do what Jesus did. Keep Speaking it, Satan hates the word, and eventually he has to relent. But he doesn't want you to know that. Well, this isn't working. No. The word defeats the enemy every single time. But sometimes it, it requires consistency from us, even when it looks like it's not working. Keep standing. This is spiritual warfare over your authority in Christ. And this is Jesus modeling for us how to practice spiritual warfare. Quote the word. Pray the scriptures, okay? So then it says, when the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him until a more opportune time. This is key because here's the thing. You can stand, you can pray the scriptures, you can speak the scriptures, you can quote quote the scriptures, you can see your healing, you can see the situations change, and he'll leave. Well, why does he keep coming back, Micah? Because he's looking for a more opportune time. He's looking for a crack. He'll stand by, and he'll scheme, and he'll wait for a crack so he can come back in and do what he's done for millennia. But the point I want to make is this, is that Jesus used the word in his attack. He didn't yell at him and scream at him for hours. He spoke the word to him. It's, in Ephesians 6, it's the, only, the word is the only offensive weapon in the word of God. And I'm going to tell you a problem that's going on right now in our churches across America. And that is that we've got to know our Bibles. Don't stop reading the Bible, the Word. You have to have that weapon in your arsenal. And I'm afraid that we have a whole generation of people that are becoming somewhat biblically illiterate. Christ followers that don't know His words. And look, I know that's my responsibility as a pastor, but it's not just mine. I need all of us to wake up in the morning and find some swords, find some weapons that we're going to use. You need to have a verse, right? That when a situation arises, you know what to say. You got battles going on in your life? You say, no, 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 no. Nope. Romans 8, 38 says, I am more than a conqueror through him who loves me. I control. I have rule. You got money issues. No, Philippians four nineteen says, my God will supply all of my needs according to his riches. Are you getting it? you got to have a verse when situations come up. Anxiety, trying to attack you, you know, or you're tempted to be afraid. No, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Who am I going to fear? you got to know the word of God. And, and you got to read the one-year Bible, not just to check off the, box, the you know, your quiet time box. No, you're pulling out swords. I know where I'm going to use that one. Oh, I'm going to mark that one because I need to remember that. When sickness is trying to attach itself to me, no, 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 no. God forgives all my sins and heals all, all my diseases, right? We've got to have the word in our life. When you go to the dentist, crown him with many crowns. You got a verse for everything. Psalm 81 does say, open wide thy mouth and I will fill it. There, there's your dentist scripture right there on the way to the dentist. You got to have one for everything. All right, I gave you three weapons. I wanna give you three things to do every day, okay? Three things to do every day for spiritual warfare over your authority, all right? Here it is. Number one, daily submit yourself to God. Like, literally, daily. You wanna defeat the devil and the circumstances in your life over you and your family? Your authority is only as strong as your relationship with God. And I'm gonna show it to you in the Bible, okay? James chapter four, says, submit yourselves then to God, all right, period. Submit yourselves then to God. Now, if you'll do that, then you can resist the devil and he will flee from you. You really are as only, you're only as successful at resisting the devil, so he'll flee from you when you've done the first part of that. Submit ourselves to God, all right? That's the order. It's your relationship with God that gives you the authority. I don't come in the name of Micah, I come in the name of Jesus, that I've spent time with him, I've surrendered my life to him daily, I've given my life to him, and then I can walk in authority, and I'm not walking in the power of Micah, I'm walking in the power of somebody who is fully surrendered to the cross, my Lord Jesus Christ, all right? Okay, number two, this is important, close any open doors that might give the enemy access. This is on us, okay? Close the doors, now let me explain. Are we really responsible sometimes for the enemy attacks? Absolutely, we are. Paul, in the first book of Corinthians, look, they had to discipline somebody. You can read it, 1 Corinthians 5. They had to discipline somebody. He had a moral failure. Let's see, God, but God is also a restoring God. And so now they're start, they've started to restore this guy in, this, in the next letter, 2 Corinthians, and praise God for restoration. We believe in restoration, don't we? The Bible does not teach council culture. If you've ever made a mistake, we don't want to ever hear from you again. No, actually, it's much different in the Word of God. If you've made a mistake and you have learned from that mistake and you've repented for that mistake, we serve a God of restoration. And so what Paul's trying to do is now convince the church, hey, you guys were hard on him. And I asked you to be hard on him. And so you did a good job. But now he has repented. He's turned. And so he, he talks about it and he says, so anyone you forgive, I also forgive. All right. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. He's just trying to convince them, hey, come on. Let's, let's get into forgiveness mode. I know that you're affected, but we got to get over it. And then watch this. Why do we do that? So that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not aware, unaware of his schemes. He says, if you don't do this, if you leave this unforgiveness door in your heart, you are letting the devil outwit you. Amen. And if you let him outwit you in this way, it will steal your authority, and Ephesians 4 says it this way. In your anger, don't sin. It's okay to be angry, but don't sin. And don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. Why? Because you'll give the devil a foothold. You're leaving a crack. He's waiting for more opportune time. Well, I mean, we all get angry. I get angry. You just can't leave it there because you leave open doors. All right? And then number three is confront the enemy. You got to do it every day. It doesn't take a lot of time. I spend like 80 to 90% of my prayer time talking to God or quoting the scriptures, okay? I say, banking can come on up. I spend about 10% of it confronting the enemy. And I'll show you how I do it. Would you stand with me?